travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, Episode 43, Adventure Travel in Asia. Adventure travel is a broad term. For some, it can simply mean making their way around a developing country, while for others, it may mean hurtling down Class 5 rapids in a kayak. That's one thing that's so great about travel. It means different things to different people and can be qualified in many different ways. On today's episode, we're going to speak with three industry leaders in adventure tourism in Asia and hear where they think the industry is headed. I'm Scott Coates in Bangkok, recording in person with my co-host... Trevor Range is here with Scott. How are you doing today, Scott? I'm doing good, man. We don't do too many of these face-to-face, so it's uh, it's good to be sitting together to be chatting adventure travel. And, uh, you know, we've both done a lot of what I would consider to be adventurous travel. And, uh, I mean, how has that changed for you over the your years in Asia and your years traveling? Well, you know, I think one of the, the cool things about travel in Asia in general is that it, it's pretty easy to do like DIY adventure travel. Yeah. Like uh, you can, you know, get a motorbike or, you know, off-road motorbike or, or whatever you're going to do. And, and you can get into some out of your comfort zone or, or mm-hmm. extremely strenuous or challenging um, scenarios. Um, at the same time, I found that when you're doing adventure tourism with, with tours or, or with tourism businesses, that it gets to be kind of a Goldilocks scenario where mm. sometimes I'll go on a, a on a rafting trip that's yeah. just ridiculously soft. You know, yeah. it's not even a real river or something like that, you know. And then other times I'll, I'll go on a tour and, and I can't believe how dangerous it is. And they don't use safety standards that mm. we expect to, to find in the West. And then occasionally you'll find something that's just right and you'll be like, wow, you know, this is amazing. Yeah, it is really a crapshoot because, you know, we grew up in families and parts of the world where we camped a lot. We probably did outdoor activities. And so for us, you know, a couple hour hike is just sort of standard operating procedure. Whereas maybe somebody from a big city like Beijing that doesn't have country exposure for them hiking one hour in the sun and maybe, you know, going for just a, a calm, calm one hour kayak ride is going to be super adventurous. So it is different things to different people. And I agree with you, those safety standards can be all over the board or it can be super boring. And often, and if you don't know the operator real well, it's it's kind of a crapshoot. Yeah, that's why I think uh, today's conversation might be really interesting, um, just because we're going to speak to three different people who um, have a little bit of different background and different expertise and, and work in different areas of the region so that we can find out a little bit different uh scenarios or or, or standards or qualities or how people can best identify those things. Yeah, well, maybe before we go too much further, we can mention our sponsor. And our sponsor today is PATA. That is the Pacific Asia Travel Association. They're a non-for-profit association that acts as a catalyst for the responsible development of travel and tourism to, from, and within the Asia-Pacific region. The association provides aligned advocacy, insightful research, and innovative events to its member organizations. Uh, And, you know, they throw a lot of travel conferences around the world and in fact we recorded this uh, episode at one of theirs so thanks very much for to Pata to being a sponsor there and you know Trevor I'm kind of curious like when you look back on your traveling life what do you kind of consider as maybe one of your first adventurous or adventure travel instances you know 
because I, I, again i still don't know the adventure tourism to me to some degree is like eco tourism like i don't really yeah. know what it means yeah, you know yeah um I, I like to do a lot of hitchhiking and i like to do a lot of camping um so i think that uh kind of doing it yourself camping and and going back country and getting off the beaten path uh, is is what qualifies for adventure in, in my book uh, how about yourself yeah, you know, to define it, I mean, I'd say you definitely have to be outdoors. You should be doing some sort of physical activity, hopefully engaging some unique cultures that you're not maybe familiar with. Mm. Um, so, yeah, out of your comfort zone, outdoors, engaging with other cultures. Those would be si- sort of the three. You know, when I think of my first kind of trip, maybe I think of like grade six I was in and we went to Spain and although it wasn't like adventure travel went swimming went on a little hike and I remember for me at that time the food was kind of weird and we went to some UNESCO World Heritage Sites the Alhambra and and I remember feeling like it was really really different from where I'd been but now I wouldn't qualify that as adventure tourism either yeah you know I think it just depends like you said earlier on on where you're coming from you know, maybe when you're younger or if you're like an urban person who doesn't spend a lot of time outdoors, um, something is a little bit more adventurous for you. Right. Whereas when we had Jeff Fuchs on and he was talking about like hiking the, the tea trails of the Himalaya, sure, sure. Like I think he could set up something for us that we would consider like pretty adventurous. Yeah, yeah, it's it's huge. It's, it's really varied. So the interview you're about to hear was actually recorded in February in Chiang Rai, Thailand. That's the northernmost province. And it was recorded at the Pada Adventure Travel and Responsible Tourism Conference 2016. Our guests are John Roberts. He is a former guest and also the Director of Conservation Activities for the Anantara Resorts and Spas Worldwide. We have Mei Xiang. She is the founder of Wild China, one of that country's leading adventure travel companies. And Willem Nemager is the founder and CEO of Kiri Travel, a leading destination management company in the region. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia and thanks for joining us, John, May, and Willem. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Great. Well, let's start off uh, just with the term adventure travel. Uh, it's pretty broad, and I'd be kind of curious as to what adventure travel means to each of you. So one of you can just jump in. <laughs> yeah. I think um, during the conference yesterday, we were using this term quite loosely. Yeah. Um, but I liked the ATTA definition. It's something um, that has something to do with physical activity, Yeah. something that's in touch with environment, and something that's in touch with uh, local culture. Okay, I agree with you. I liked that better than uh, the final speaker, who was who said it. We just had to push people out of their comfort zone a little bit. I think is, I think I like that definition better. That they had, you can push them out of their comfort zone, but physical activity, nature, and culture. Yeah, two of the three. Yeah. Two of the three. Yes, that's yeah. what I liked as well. Yeah. Yes. In, in, uh, ideally, it is three of the three. Yes. But by two of the three, you kind of have defined adventure travel. Sure. And I think that's what we see as well. Yeah. Well, I know you've all been in travel for well over a decade. So thinking about adventure travel in Asia, how have you seen it change, let's say, in the last five to ten years? What do you think some of the biggest changes have been? Um, one of the biggest changes we have seen is the opening up of countries in the Mekong region. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. When we started the business, it was just opening up and mm-hmm. there was very little infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, that changed quite a lot. There's a lot more accommodations, a lot better roads, uh, flight routes. Um, so accessibility. Uh, okay. and, and absolutely, that's been, I, I think, in this region, the, bi- the biggest change. Sure. I feel like among the three definitions, yeah. the industry traditionally look at China and Asia in general mm-hmm. only on culture, historically. Okay. Yeah. More. Yeah. 
And uh, over the years, though, people start to look at uh, these destinations much more. Besides culture, there are hiking opportunities. We okay. have a lot more clients who want to do at least day hikes on the Great Wall. Yeah. And uh, further in southwest China, Yunnan, which is connected to um, the Mekong region, more and more of boating, rafting opportunities, mm -hmm. uh, longer distance hiking through hill tribes. Those kind of similar to Southeast Asia kind right. of programs are happening in uh, Yunnan province and Guizhou yeah. hill tribe mm -hmm. area too. Okay. Yeah. John? I was just going to ask, have you found, it, with the opening up, have you found it more difficult to uh, to find new and adventurous places? The, because the question, it always, it, I've lived here in Chiang Rai now for 13 years, but to see the adventure travel coming here, a lot of people in the industry seem to think of Chiang Rai as an adventure travel destination, but as a person who lives here and I travel, haven't yet managed to become one of your customers, but I've been to the places you're talking about. and. For adventure, I now have to go further afield than Chiang Rai, so I was wondering mm. if if there is tracking, of course, here, but it's been whether you feel the opening up has been necessary to provide adventure. Um, I, I think, in a, in a sense, it has been because also we have a much larger market. Um, when you look 20 years ago and just look at, for example, at Thailand, it's a good example. Uh, when we just started out, there were maybe 5 million tourists to Thailand every year, and mm. it's 30 million right now. Yes. So you're talking also to a different audience. Mm -hmm. um, maybe 20 years ago, um, um, people were looking at uh, different places for adventure. But right now, we have a lot of people that actually think Chiang Rai is very adventurous. Hmm. Okay. So yeah. uh, it, is, it has changed as well. We are talking about a bigger market. Hmm. It's probably more to do with you living here. I think that so. <laughs> it is that. But it's also the opening up, because I would say the in 2000 and for 2005, the first time I drove to Luang Nam Tha, and I actually I drove through um, through Boten and then up to Jing Hong, mm. and that was the first 160 kilometers through Laos was four wheel drive only. Yeah. It was it was a real adventure, and I guess it also my definition of adventure may have changed as well. Uh, that was a real adventure, and then once you got to the other side, even on the on the Chinese side, you didn't have the mega highway going through there. You were winding up through villages, mm -hmm. and now the R3A is open, um, and of course there's still adventure along the way, but you actually have to yeah. look for it rather than it's part of part of what you need to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, infrastructure has has, has changed all, uh, the whole region a mm. lot. Uh, that particular route from 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 here to the to the to Boten to the China Chinese border, uh, that's yeah. just changed so much because okay. of the route and, and and but on the other hand you can also get there easier yeah. quicker so you get more people in in places that are still I would say adventurous and it's the road but you only have to go off the road for what a kilometer and it's still the same nothing really changed there. It's I funny how yeah. how you you all look at driving up to China yes, from yes. Yeah. <laughs> and my first experience coming down here <laughs> was driving from Yunnan 20 years ago I was working for the railroad company we started looking at Yunnan railroad company that was already plotting building a railroad down here yeah. and um, that didn't happen but yeah. highway happened sure and I remember at that time when we drove across the border to Laos immediately it's like roads with potholes yes. and <laughs> yeah. but now a lot smoother and yeah. Just back to your numbers, 
or I think road, railroad is still coming though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But back to your numbers, you had five million visitors to Thailand before. I think now they're looking at eight million Chinese visitors alone. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Twenty-six yeah. percent. Yes. I think I read That's of right. visitors last yeah. year were Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. That's when I came amazing. the first time here, it was 1987. Was their visit Thailand year? Very successful uh, marketing campaign, mm-hmm. and they had 2.5 million. <laughs> So um, that it's uh, that that changed a lot, and you can. But it's probably even more. So, well, this is numbers. But if you look at, for example, a country like Cambodia, that in 1993, after they had the UN elections, there was nothing. There was not even one hotel. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no infrastructure. No education. Nothing after after the Khmer Rouge period. And look at it now. Mm-hmm. So that is an even. I, I think an even s- bigger change there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, your conversation about roads kind of leads very nicely into the next question. What places do you think are great for adventure travel now that maybe even five years ago weren't due to infrastructure developing? Are there places you're really keen on now that just weren't really possible to the average traveler a few years ago? Um, so many. I think every, <laughs> every country sees a lot of development. I think Thailand the least, because Thailand always have had uh, yep. a good infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, but it's the other countries surrounding, except maybe for Laos, not, not an awful lot happening there. Well, the, the road to, yep. to China mm-hmm. and, or the China road to here, whatever you want to call it, that, that's maybe. But um, uh, Myanmar, okay. um, uh, I think that has still has uh, the, the, um, uh, the provinces outside of the central part of Myanmar um, have, have a lot to, uh, to offer. Shan states that connects to, yep. uh, to Thailand mm-hmm. and that makes overland travel, which I think is one, uh, you could almost like the, the fourth point of adventure travel okay. in the region would be overland travel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's always fun to cross borders and, yep. yeah. and to see that in, um, you know, in, in, in action. So uh, Myanmar to Thailand, Myanmar, and maybe even Myanmar to, um, to Bangladesh or, or India, mm. that part, huh. okay. th- those are really interesting uh, huh. places. Yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. Coming again from sort of the the Beijing side where yeah. where I'm based, now with some of the challenges of air quality up there, people always say like, so where can I go in China? Yeah. And I always by default steer them to the southwest corner. Okay. And traditionally, we limited the travel to you know the ethnic tribal areas of Guizhou, which uh-huh. is one of the provinces north of here, yeah. and then Yunnan alone. But the cross-border opening made these areas exploring the ethnic tribal cultures across borders so much more interesting. Mm. For example, the, the Miao in Guizhou down in Laos are called Hmong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are, are they called Hmong there? Here, in, though, in yeah. here yeah. as well, right. Yeah. And then for people living in California, they can also relate to this. And sure. this is so cool. I think that's what travel brings you. It's like, the geographies and you see the migrating migration of culture and similarities of the hill tribes so driving from Yunnan westward Reili and Mandalay mm-hmm. beautiful yep. overland mm. journey and the one um, down straight down all the way here yep. and then Vietnam to um, Hanoi yeah, yeah, and hike a little bit in the in the northern. Absolutely, western. that's beautiful. It's uh, yeah, yeah, stunning. I and love those from here. northern Vietnam to Laos. That yeah. whole part that is beautiful as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely stunning. Yeah, so the Yunnan connection to Southeast Asia is is very t- recently. I'm actually researching for a book, okay. and I realized, you know, the French first built the railway to Kunming 
in 1910. Right. Oh, really? And you know the railroad from Kunming to Chengdu, which is further north in Sichuan Province, yeah, right. didn't finish until 1970. Right. Oh. Isn't that amazing yeah, to yeah, think sure. like, you know, well, this region of China yes. is much closely tied with and, Southeast Asia. And the French were desperate to get some trade from what now Cambodia Lao up into China so that they were the first people to come up the Mekong as well or first not people but the first Westerners to come up the Mekong and to, to measure yeah. that and desperate yep. to get some form of uh, trade going up into China yeah. so they could get some yep. colonial yeah. benefit from having having now in Cambodia which is, may not be the nicest of intentions but that was the reason they were doing it I yep. guess yeah um, yeah and the British were trying to build a railroad up the Mekong same the railroad that's still never been built but the British when we were in Myanmar going yeah. from Chiang Mai to Chiang Rai and then either up the Mekong or where R3A is. Yeah. yeah. I decided it was not possible. To well, one of the things that got brought up yesterday a bit and obviously with adventure travel is is the whole responsible factor. So if people are thinking of traveling to the region and they're wanting to do something adventurous, which obviously sometimes getting in there can have some impact or they want to make sure they're doing the right thing. How do you think travelers can ensure that whoever they're booking with or whatever they're setting out to do benefits locals as much as possible and minimizes adverse impact on where they're going? Hmm. Um. I mean, the easy nowadays the information is is so available. I know there are greenwashing and all sorts of other things, but and it may be because I'm in the business and doing it. But I think research as to who you're booking with is is fairly. It's easy to do. You can you right. can get Google out there. You can go around. Tripadvisor's out there. Um, Tripadvisor Green Leaders isn't here yet, but it's coming, um, which will be. It obviously guest audited rather than independently audited, but it's still yeah. going going to be there. I think. The information's there, so so do some research around your subject, and don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah, okay. I, I agree. You can uh, you can do a lot of research now online. There are certifications as well yep. that uh, that uh, clients can look into. Oh yeah. Um, so uh, on sustainability in, okay. in the travel. Uh, so that's a great great way to uh, yeah to see with who are you booking. And you can do much more research on, if you do a package tour, you can do much more research on what's in the package tour. And, and customers nowadays have a voice, so you can go back to your um, to your company where you want to book and, and, and tell them, like, I, I, I think you need to change things. Okay. So. I'm also thinking, I think this is a two, it takes two to dance. Sure. Um, the reason the operators are offering some of these services like the elephant rides and things like because there is a demand for it. Sure. Mm -hmm. So I think it's <coughs> while the industry is trying to uh, raise the awareness of the service providers, it's yeah. important for consumers to self-educate and also for media to influence their demand on yeah. services. I mean, I recall taking my uh, kids to Chiang Mai and to the elephant, uh, not elephant, um, the tiger's park or yeah. whatever, okay. and seeing those little baby tigers. And then, you know, I probably, I, I'm in the industry, but just seeing the girls so excited about touching the tiger or even living mm -hmm. yeah. on it, yeah. it's, it's cute as yeah. a mother. Yeah. But when you think about it, you're like, that's not really the right So the kind of education is important for mm. all of us as individuals. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yep. that's my point. Okay, I think so. And going back, the external auditors, because your Earth Check, yep, your Earth Check, Word well, Green Growth, uh, Travel Life, Travel Life, okay, yep. Travel Life, Green Check, uh, Word Green Growth 2050. Okay. Yeah, yep. do you have a mm -mm. external audit? Mm -mm. 
but you're good anyway. But we I, know that. I don't think we have that in China. Actually, there is. Uh, no, it's difficult because the Anantara is in China. Also, I'm trying to get all of the Anantaras are supposed to be green growth 2050 mm. audited, and uh, our Chinese ones are, uh, are are not there yet. So mm. maybe it's something to look at. But certainly, it's external auditing. I think is important. Yeah. Mm. Well, I know you all kind of work in. I mean, Willem and May, you run travel companies. John, you design a lot of the kind of eco programs and make sure that yeah. you're operating responsibly. But Looking back, say, in the last couple of years, is there a particular product or activity that you're most proud of that you have sort of shepherded and brought out to the front of adventure travel within your own respective areas? Um, for, for us, we come to the realization, we try to you know, create products, but we come to the realization to always involve the uh, local community, whatever you do. Okay. Is really key in mm. getting a right product out. Right. And We've seen that no matter what you do and how much you want to invest in things, but if you get the local community in there and you get that local, you create an, a possibility for the for the travelers, for the guests, to interact with the local community somehow, in yeah. some way, that is already a, a recipe for success. Okay. Okay. May, anything hot? Uh, no, no I, I, I agree with that. I yeah. think whatever we do is um, creating local employment, not not just to make it sound good. Sure, sure. In yeah. truth is, yeah. you know, we, everywhere we go, we use local guides, and that's something I'm very proud of while China, yeah. because to sell to the international market, people think, oh, look, you're, if they don't speak well enough English, or if they are not talking this with the same culture references, it's difficult for clients to understand. Yeah. But that's the unique side of it. So everywhere they go, like if they go to Xichuanbanna, the guide is local Thai grown up here yeah, in Xichuanbanna. Yeah. And I think that is crucial, so something I think very unique about our services. Probably is true here in Thailand, but in China it's so big yeah, to set yeah. up the, such a network took a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and some of these other, one specific product actually showed that yesterday during the conference is this Tibetan area with a tented camp. Okay. Besides my team going there and setting things up, we sourced everything locally. Okay. The entire camp, 20 camp staff, all hired locally. They had no idea what this tented camp is supposed to yeah. Yeah. look like. And so we did every sure. education from scratch. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's, that's one of the products that I'm quite proud of. That cool. looks amazing, uh, by the way. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, Unfortunately, we can't operate it year round because the elevation is too uh, high. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. John, anything really neat that you've? Uh, I don't. Know. I mean, for me, it's slightly different in that yeah. I'm, I'm, almost retrofitting, retrofitting <laughs> things in that we're, we're taking in an industry and, and, and this is bigger than the camp that we do. Of course, I'm proud of of all the work that we do in the Golden Triangle, but it's the the way that we're managing to. It, it, it's not a guest product, it's kind of behind the scenes, the, the positive reinforcement training workshops that we're running, the Mahout education workshops we're running, trying to get, we're putting an, just signed a check this morning, putting an English teacher in the school in Bantak Lang so they, the next generation of Mahouts okay. can communicate better and broaden their horizons a little bit, those sorts of things rather than, we're taking an industry and also from the sustainability side of things, the, getting the Anantaras to, to be externally audited and, and to push that way to, to try and build that into the industry I think rather than um, unfortunately not well, there's some innovation I think but it's it's what's rather than building products it's uh, um, it's more 
take, improving what's going on and hey. making sure that it's it's operating sustainably where it, in the past it probably wasn't. Which for and, and again, not a small or, or not a travel operator, but taking on what is now a fairly large hotel chain, um, yeah. corporate entity basically, um, that's getting larger and larger and being able to be in there and, and building in sustainability as we go along. So I'm yeah. quite proud that we now have sustainability reports and we're uh, minor in general and I'm just a small part of it, but we're DJSI, sure. we're talking we're at, at a corporate level now reporting on our carbon and our energy use and all sorts of other things. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Which is good. And um, for new products. Well, that's good. Projects, Willem and I give us give Willem and I six months, and we'll have something. Oh, okay, yeah. all right, <laughs> special all right. to talk about. Well, let's pretend that somebody maybe has never been to Asia, and they're thinking of coming. I want to put you on the spot. What would be your recommendation for a really fun multi-destination trip in the region to somebody that wants to come? What's the what's the trip you'd recommend? Well. I think uh, no pressure. May <laughs> you just mentioned a really good one. I mean, what you can do is try to find a theme in whatever you do, mm -hmm. and a theme would be uh, the minorities that uh, that are living in uh, in northern uh, northern Myanmar, in southern China, uh, through Laos, in this area, and in the Chiang Mai Chiang Rai area, and try to combine that and try to find. Um, trails of culture that are, are similar okay. over the different countries. I think that's a great team mm. uh, to, to, to use as um, um, and, and to design a tour along that way. Okay. Yeah. Depends on how much time they have. Sure, let's say we got a couple uh, weeks. Oh, that's a good chunk of time to spend <laughs> yeah. in this region, yeah. yeah. I generally, once again, because of the Beijing-centric kind of yeah, uh, sure. operation, yeah. Yeah. I think it's very important for people to at least stop three days in Beijing. Okay. Um, just because that the power from that center and the economic development to the cosmopolitan feel of the city, mm. it's important. It's it's the pulse of China. Okay. And which in, you know radiates to the Southeast Asia, mm. and you'll feel it in America or Europe mm. as well. So three days there, and then terracotta warrior soldiers spent maybe one to two nights there is is enough okay then i would immediately pop down to yunnan yeah besides the fact that it's my hometown <laughs> area <laughs> yeah. it's it's one of china's most stunning area and from there you can even just go uh, lijiang is quite touristy lijiang mm -hmm. yep. town alone had 15 million visitors last year Whoa. <laughs> And that's <laughs> half of <laughs> yeah. visitor to Thailand. Yeah. So if you don't mind the crowd, that's an interesting area. Yeah. Joseph Rock, I mean, I had a lot of botanical discoveries in the region, mm. Nashi culture and all that. And mm -hmm. from there, trace down to Dali, the Bai culture, which is the Dali kingdom that historically in 8th century and 12th century sort of influenced the whole of Southeast Asia as yeah. well. Right? Mm. From there, I would boom, hop down to um, Jinghong mm -hmm. and come down. Okay. to Wang Prabang or even to Chiang Rai and then finish off in Hong Kong sort of like the hub once again to fly yeah. wherever you that would yeah. be my sort of ideal three-week trip that's a that's a great uh, I would yeah. love to yeah. do that yeah. John it's your dream well I was going to go the <laughs> other way uh, and go up through but the, the same idea because the same Yunnan to me is, is I've been trying to make myself one of your customers for a very long time and just haven't <laughs> found the time the T-horse trail things you do are, it's 
totally fascinating Travel to me. Travel with um, Scott's friend, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff. Yes, yeah. Well, I know, I know. Ah. So I want to be, I, I, I get your He's newsletter. He's expert. So, yes, yeah. I know. And you have a trip going in the fall, I see. So. And I've, I've, yeah, re I've read the book and I've been trying to persuade my mum to come along in it. But anyway, that, that sort of area. Possibly I would do, I would include, for myself personally, although I haven't, been there yet would be would be Myanmar and yeah. uh, the yeah. Shan states and those areas that are just opening up mm. because that we're never going to get the chance to as uh, Miss Sue said yesterday it's the last frontier I'm not sure it is the last frontier but you're never going to get the chance to see those places as they are again because they will inevitably change and that includes for me the beaches and and all the other places yeah. to, to the south because there's mm. I mean if you see the Thai Andaman coast I've never seen the Myanmar Andaman coast but the Thai, uh, the Myanmar, the Thai Andaman coast is beautiful but crowded. Uh, the Myanmar one is is not crowded yet. Yeah. So I would I would love to go. Uh, to me, if you had the chance and the time, I would do spend a, a, a long time just slowly poking about in Myanmar, mm. pushing around to, uh, and pushing the boundaries a little bit, going to places that that people don't get to yet. Um, mm. And even go back to Inlay and Kalor because they're beautiful anyway, and Bagan yeah. because yeah. we just have to put that in there. But also just a little bit the rural side of things and then again I'm kind of lucky because I get to do because of my the conservation side of what I do I do get to poke around in areas that are that are jungles and that other people public general public don't get to go to anyway yeah. so that's I possibly there are places in Cambodia we're talking about and things like that where I I am going at the moment where you there isn't really much accommodation yet but sure you can camp out um, and then the other thing I would my own personal one that is quite a sad one is I do want to go to see Pandon before they start building the dams on the Mekong as well. I yeah. Also, not a question of going, Myanmar's going to change, I think, for the better, especially if people like Sue have some control and the government people I work with over there, they all seem to be positive and developing in the right direction. Uh, but the Mekong is the Mekong is not going to be the same, and that's the other way around, because the, the dams will be built. There's nothing, no stopping them now. Mm. And I really do want to go and see these amazing places before they... A bit, bit of an Ed Abbey thing when the yeah, see Pandon in southern Laos, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. because I've I've never been there and it's yeah. always been amazing and in there. Okay, they're not going to destroy it. Totally, when you do, when you do, make sure that you cross the border there into Cambodia. Okay, that yep. northern uh, northern part of Cambodia yep. is just stunning. Beautiful national parks there as well. Yeah, yeah. You're describing my next kind of dream trip. I've been threatening for about a decade to get there. Well, that's it, and it's yeah. got, it'll be. It won't be totally gone, but they're building a dam there now, and sure. it's now's the time because they're yep. gonna be there long. Okay. I would love to come and travel with these two gentlemen. Kind <laughs> of like knowledge, expertise there you, you have into these little you know crannies and nooks of yeah. this region. It's amazing. Could Impressive. put together a super kind of VIP expert trip here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, my last question for you is. If you could share a little bit of a bit more about you, is when you have time off, where in the region do you go for your own personal time? Um, Without ruining your favorite spot. <laughs> 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 uh, the, the family and we, we we love Northern Thailand. Okay. We love this uh, this place. It's it's it, it's cultural rich. You have a lot of uh, diversity in, in in nature. You can do a yeah. lot of stuff. It's it's. It's nicely developed, I would say, uh, in, in, in a sense. We, we, we love this, uh, this, this area here. Um, I never tire to go back to Luang Prabang. Okay. I, I just love that place. It's just fantastic. You have good food and it's so charming. Yeah. And it's one of the places that actually gets better every time you visit. Oh, yeah. It does get more busy. There are more visitors. Yeah. But because of the UNESCO kind of like 
um, controls the the building in the in, in the in the in the city, old city. Yeah, it it gets better over time. There's okay. a bit of criticism about that as well, as there is on anything. But sure. um, mm -hmm. I I just love that place. Great, great. I always go back to Dali. To Dali. Mm. Yeah. Dali to me, you know, it's, it's interesting. When I first went to Inlay Lake, I thought, hey, this is just like Dali. You know, the mountains on one side, then the lake there, and the lake is such a center of life. So landscape, it's really beautiful, yeah. and climate-wise, weather-wise, it's it's perfect year-round. Maybe a little bit drizzle in the summer. Okay. Everything grows there. The flowers are blooming, and it's not it's not tropical. So it's not very as hot. Okay. And I bought a house there, so I would just go and stay mm. for a whole week. That's the key. You can't just tour there. You have to mm. stay. And so you go to the villages, find a villager who will cook this amazing ham rice pot dish for you or go behind the Tangshan mountain you find these um, traditional craftsmen who still make salt by hand they salt their ham I showed some yeah, of these mm -hmm. images yeah, yesterday good. and um, there are a whole new generation of artists um, living there yeah. they created sort of little galleries interesting people who can take you hiking up Tangshan mountain to look for uh, really interesting plant species it's yeah it's just a, a great place to hang out for a whole week. Okay, so Dali. Dali. Right. Okay, John? <laughs> um, Excuse me. We, I, I think we all travel so much anyway that it's, yeah. I mean, I'm, and it seems rude to say Chiang Rai, but if, if yeah. we get a weekend, and I, if I'm traveling, I'm traveling with a four-year-old as well, which, sure. which makes life a little bit more interesting. <laughs> um, but, I mean, we never, I if we get a weekend off we will always go and I know a lot of my guests repeat guests in Chiang Rai say we've already been there but I will always go up to Doi Tung I will always yeah. go if, if I have friends visiting anything I go up there and then yeah. they've got it's it's not the wild hill tribe areas that we're talking about anymore but it's it, it is a microcosm and yeah. it's a great project up there and it's it's nice so I do that and then also because because it's family time um, and because I do spend all of my a lot of my time in jungles and in those other way cities, but cities like Phnom Penh, I like Phnom Penh, uh, yeah. Long Prabang. Uh, okay, we spend a lot of time in Bangkok, but I wouldn't necessarily yeah. eat beating heart. The Beijing argument is actually a good one. So, yeah. so, so the the Chiang Mai, the slightly larger cities where we can sit and again traveling with a four-year-old don't necessarily yeah. we, can, we can go and do things and hang out and have restaurants and things like that sure. because we get to live in Chiang Rai so it's, yeah. it's quite nice so it's a yep. slightly up up pace um, and then still looking for that house by the lake somewhere a quiet <laughs> a quiet area in the jungle where we can actually have our own I mean we do have a very nice house already but a, a, a nice place that you can go and sit down by the beach or somewhere that, that, that that's quiet and hang out for a week um, yep. and I haven't found the perfect spot for that yet but, or the money to pay for it either <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll work that out somehow Great. <laughs> well thanks for making time uh, to sit down and chat and uh, share some of your thoughts on adventure travel with us guys thank you so much yeah, thank you for having us Scott thank you. Thank okay you. great hey Scott pretty interesting interview you had there uh, I think there's uh, quite a few different things that you touched on that we might be able to discuss here in, in the conclusion yeah I mean it got pretty broad you've got three people that are huge leaders in their respective country or companies and industries and, and countries and countries. And I mean, we touched on even at one point, you know, kind of environmental certification, but you know, one thing that seemed to be a real common theme is the opening up of borders to me is that you now can in a single trip, 
do multiple countries. You can go by land from southern China into Laos, then into northern Thailand and over to Myanmar. That the whole idea that it's just more fluid, it's easier to go place to place, and that really opens a lot of travel opportunities. Yeah, you know, like that's one of the things I think we touch on a lot when we talk about travel in the region, just how development changes things, right? But mm. but it's a double-edged sword, right? On the one hand, like there's all these new areas that are opening up, like going to Shan State in Myanmar, which I did like a decade or more ago, but but there wasn't really any sort of adventure tourism sure. then. I mean, or it was ultimate adventure tourism, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but once there's like this interconnectivity with the railroads and when there's visas for all of yeah. ASEAN, like I think there's going to be some really amazing adventures that you're able to do in the region. Yeah, and I mean, double-edged sword, you know, when we were just in Chiang Rai recording this, I went to see one of my favorite little dirt roads and a motorcycle bridge over the river, which is now a paved road and a bridge big enough for cars, which got me really bummed out. And when we were talking there, Willem mentioned that, well, you know, actually these better roads coming into place that just mean it opens more areas of a country and gives opportunities to more villages. So yeah, in some ways, okay, now you can go further afield more quickly than you ever would have been able to do and you can see areas you wouldn't have been able to before then part of me wonders does this mean that like there's just going to be more and more people coming to everywhere and you're going to have to really work hard to get on dirt tracks and get off the beaten path i'm not sure you know yeah and then uh, when when they talked about you know different providers giving access to these different places i remember when when i first went to, to chiang mai back in 1993 i think it was okay and we went up hill tribe trekking and stuff yeah like it was already like some of the villages were super touristy already like you yeah. know like some tour companies all went to the same village and stuff sure so i in in the episode today you touched a little bit of upon like certifications for different tour providers and stuff. And uh, I, if I were there, I would have liked to have followed up with some additional questions on that. But maybe we could put in our show notes some of the links that yeah. you got from them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the cool things I thought, too, is almost all of them mentioned Myanmar at some point. Right. It it well, it came, you know, mm. open three, four years ago and got super hot. I mean, they're still they all seem to be very intrigued by it. And it's really easy to see places that aren't kind of the mainstays that everybody knows about. But it seemed that travel to Myanmar is definitely high on the adventure, you know, kind of travel list. Um, I'm also kind of intrigued now by parts of southern China, which I, mm -hmm. I wasn't really before. But, uh, man, it just shows in a small area. There sure are a lot of places to go. Yeah, I know. And and not just places to go that, that we haven't yet been to, mm. but also like places I'd like to go back to again. And, and I was kind of surprised uh, that, that one of your guests t said that he thought Luang Prabang keeps getting yeah. better. Willem, and, and, yeah. yeah. And I'm not so sure about that. I haven't been in a while and I'm kind of dreading going back. Mm. But then he also mentioned Sipandan yeah. with a thousand islands down in southern Laos, 4,000 yeah. islands. Yeah. And uh, and how you need to go there because once they build that dam, it's going to be gone. You yeah, know? yeah. So. Uh, it's it is a double edged sword, man. Development it makes travel easier and smoother and nicer at times, and makes you be able to get further into a country than maybe you could. But yeah, I just keep wondering: is it going to make it better or not? But there's definitely more options than ever to go more places to experience more things and to have more fun, I think, than ever in history almost. Yeah, and even like when we talk about there being more and more and more tourists, because the number of tourists in the region is, is really growing quickly. Huge, Just, huge. The Chinese especially, you know, sure. but like, you know, we talked about Cambodia, or you guys talked about Cambodia briefly, you know, yeah. back in, in the early 90s, there was no infrastructure whatsoever, mm. you know. But even, let's say, 10 years ago, you couldn't find a decent mountain bike in that country, you sure, know. Yeah, so, so now, like, you can, there, there's some great bikes available just yeah. for soft or 
are more hardcore adventure, you know? So I think that um, for adventure tourism opportunities, um, yeah, there's certainly going to be more and more, but there's also going to be more competition in the industry. And I think that it's going to be trickier to find out, you know, who's doing a good job and who's not. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. I'd actually like to maybe we can have an episode with uh, one of them again, personally, one on one Mm -hmm. about another uh, uh, subject. So anyway, thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode saying thank you and farewell. This is Scott Coates. This is Trevor Ranges from Bangkok. Uh, Thanks for joining us, everyone. And uh, we hope you come back to listen to another episode in two weeks. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Bangkok Tom and Cam?